0: Bits and Bricks. Welcome to Bits and Bricks, a podcast about all
1: things Lego games. I'm Ethan Vincent. And I'm Brian Crescenti. Together, we look back at the rich 25-year history of Lego games, chat with early developers and seasoned studios who have all tackled the creation of video games for one of the most popular and respected toy companies in the world, the Lego Group. Hey, Brian. Do you remember when we first met? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean,
0: not met, but sort of coexisted in this kind of same place. Uh, we were at Net Devil during LEGO Universe development, and I think you came to a playtesting
1: event with your son. I did. You're right. And you captured video of me grabbing a soda from the work fridge, uh, sort of like I was Bigfoot tromping through the woods of upstate New York. Yeah, you felt very comfortable there, to say the least. That's good. (laughs) I'm still confused why that was a thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone was so excited. It was a kind of a really exciting time, too. Yeah, but, you know, the real reason we were there... With a bunch of other kids and their dads and/or moms, mm-hmm. was to play test this early build of Lego Universe.
0: Yeah, and boy did they do a lot of that. I mean, play testing on Lego Universe was everywhere, and they would have regulars that would come and play and just be engaged and watch how they would, uh, you know, progress in the game. It was
1: pretty involved. I remember that. Yeah. So if people listening don't know what this is, what play testing is, it's basically the idea here is that you bring in a bunch of people who you hope will eventually buy your game or download your game, and you have them play it early on and give you some feedback. Uh, now, this shouldn't be confused with another thing that game developers do, which is quality assurance testing, which is basically they have a group of people in-house who will play the game over and over again looking for bugs and trying to sort of fix problems that may happen during gameplay. So, uh, play testing. Uh, in the game industry, actually goes back to 1976, and Atari, one of the, you know, early companies out there making video games, it's believed that what they did was uh, they were essentially the first company to hire a person who was a user research employee, and that was Carol Cantor. Hmm. Uh, These days, just about every studio does this, but I have to tell you, Ethan, I can't think of any other studio I've ever talked to (laughs) who seems as invested in playtesting as Lightbrick Studio.
0: Yeah, that's so true. And, you know, in case you've forgotten, listeners, Lightbrick Studio are the developers that spun off the Lego group
1: and developed the delightful Lego builder's journey for Apple Arcade. Exactly. And we did a whole episode about that earlier this year, so uh, you should definitely, I think, have a listen. We'll wait here while you do just that. (laughs) (laughs) For an hour, right? Just just an hour. Yeah, well, okay. I mean, they can pause and pretend that we're just sort of standing around for an hour and waiting. Okay, and we're back, right? Isn't that how we would come back
0: in? That's good. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And we're ready to dive into today's episode, which is all about Lightbrick Studio and just how big a role playtesting plays in the future. To quote Lewis Carroll, let's begin at the beginning. Lego Builder's Journey launched on December 19th, 2019 as an Apple Arcade exclusive on iOS. And people loved it. They loved it so much that Lightbrick decided they should bring it to more people and more platforms. So this summer, the studio brought the game to the Nintendo Switch and Windows PC. But it wasn't just a straight port. Carson Lund, CEO and Creative Director at Lightbrick Studio, walks us through what the new versions brought with it and why.
2: I think one of the biggest, you could say, input we got from users across the world was that they loved the experience, but they really wanted a little bit more of it. So obviously there was a few other adjustments we wanted to make to the gameplay and to the input system and all sorts of stuff and fix some bugs. But I think the biggest thing is we wanted to make it a little bit bigger for players to, to be able to enjoy it again. So we've actually roughly doubled it in size. So we simply added some levels here and there to sort of enhance the story and, you know, make it a little bit more solid and have some more fun gameplay ideas. And then we've added to it uh, new chapters that just sit at the end of it and extend the story. So the essence of the story is still there. It's just, I think, I believe it's a little bit stronger now. It it actually really says what we wanted to say in a stronger way. Players who've played it before, I mean, this is, just jump back in and you will probably remember some of it, but you'll also be surprised about new stuff everywhere. And for new players, this is a a little bit of a more full-bodied experience
1: of the same thing. Updates for the game also included things like adding controller support, which Jonas Hoggesen, game designer at Lightbrick Studio, said was one of the re-release's biggest design challenges. And, of course, they added this stunning level of realism to the PC version of the game with the use of things like ray-traced ambient occlusion, global illumination, reflections, and shadows, which, Ethan, I know uh, you are an enormous fan of. Oh, my gosh, yeah. I mean, if you look at the bricks and the way the bricks behave when you twist them,
0: there's just so much detail that they added. It's, It's really beautiful, you know, minor surface scratches on some things and the others. It's just so detailed and so beautiful. They did such a great job.
1: Yeah, uh, it's funny to say that they added all of this extra visual fidelity (laughs) to essentially Lego bricks, but when you see it in action, you're like, wow. Yeah,
3: yeah. (laughs) It really is a big difference. Yeah.
1: So the new version is out now, and anybody can go check that out themselves. But Carson tells us the studio is still working on that game. I mean, this is still our baby, right? It's, we, we all love this project and we all believe that it's, we're
2: all proud of it and we believe that there's a lot more to do with this little universe that we've created and these little characters. You know, that's the way of the world these days, right? I mean, you ship a product and it's not done. You can still improve and update and make better while it's out there. When you actually learn how it performs and how the audience responds to it, you will you even have an even more clearer sense of where it's supposed to go. I mean that said. Obviously, we want to move on as well. We want to make new things because that's where we learn a lot more. But definitely, I mean, the ray tracing project was perfect for our, uh, you know, our mission of very high technology. We all saw that this would be a an awesome application of that technology because everybody knows what a brick looks like and what a, what a Lego model looks like. So that point of reference for what reflecting shiny plastic looks like is just so clear in people's minds. So it, you instantly connect to it, when you see it, you're like, ooh, I get, yeah, that, yeah, that feels and that looks real. So for us, that was a very fun experiment and a very sort of, uh, uh, there's a lot of things we needed to learn and build to get there in the end. So that's what we're driven by, to try these things, try these sort of uh, interesting new endeavors. We're looking at ways of being a little bit more creative with Builder's Journey.
1: As the Builder's Journey team was wrapping up work on the new build of the game this spring, others at the studio, which has 14 employees, were starting work on the studio's next game. Karsten said that overlap between the old and the new is actually pretty common at game studios. Yeah, you could say that while we were packaging up and finalizing this
2: Builder's Journey update, some of the designers actually started working on the new, new stuff. So that happened as with an overlap, and as it should be. I think that's always the, what you want to do, right? You, if you, I always say that if you have designers actually having something to do in these very late stages of a development process, you're in deep trouble, right? <laughs> because uh, it really needs to be stable with no changes uh, made to the actual core design while we try and finish it up. So that's a great way of sort of segueing into the next project, having designers try new things and experiment with the new prototypes while the, the big project is being closed and shipped.
0: That prototyping process started with the designers at the studio brainstorming over several weeks and playing around with small projects. Designer Hoggison said each of those little projects built off of what came before it, helping to shape new ideas and bigger experiences as they move towards the studio's next project.
3: Yeah, it was a, a roundtable sort of discussion where everyone could chime in and we all just discussed what we liked about individual projects and how we were gonna staff them going forward. I mean, uh, we were going basically all the way back to basics, not really reusing uh, anything for the sake of making something that smelt like Builder's Journey, but really just uh, kind of refiguring out out what, what is it that we, as a studio, would like to produce. So, I mean, there's also been a lot of looking at processes of how do we come up with new ideas in the studio. I mean I think at the core of what I believe to be the most enjoyable thing to work with is to just look at the essence of what what is the boundaries of what you're trying to create in. And we have the wonderful mandate of being able to work with the LEGO brick, but it's also good in the way that it has to smell of the LEGO system and I think of it more as as what is a LEGO system all about, rather than do we have to have LEGO bricks in it. So when I started thinking of new ideas, I thought of the, the LEGO bricks more as like they are connecting to each other and how is the tactility of someone holding a LEGO brick and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's a very good paradigm to start out with being able to work with the LEGO brick.
1: For his part, Hoggison said he tries to ignore what's going on in, in the video game industry as a whole during the prototyping phase of a project. Instead, he said he looks at sources outside the game industry. Uh, you know, in some ways, uh, Ethan, this reminds me of an approach that uh, is famously used by Nintendo game designer Shigeru Miyamoto, mm-hmm. who looks at his everyday life and, and hobbies for, for game inspiration. That's how the game industry got games like Pikmin and Nintendogs and Wii Fit. In fact, you're going to love this, Ethan, Mm -hmm. his hobbies are so impactful on the decisions he makes when it comes to design that Nintendo has actually told him not to talk about them with the public, which I think is Mm -hmm. hilarious. (laughs) So, um, like Miyamoto, Jonas has actually found some inspiration in his garden, though I don't think it's going to be another Pikmin game.
3: I just bought a garden <laughs> this year, <laughs> and uh, I've taken a lot of inspiration from uh, from uh, the natural processes going on in that garden. So definitely, uh, I mean, uh, there's so much stuff in the world that is so inspiring, not just uh, in a in a gaming setting, but uh, I mean in general. And if we can bring that into the interactive media of Gaming, I think we gain a lot as people. Karsten describes
0: the transitioning from a slew of small prototypes to the next project, a fluid
2: process. It's hard to talk about the amount or actual number of prototypes. It's more of a fluid process of, of working in different directions within the same framework. Obviously, we know that everything we do to begin with is early days and everything will change at some point. We will pivot and grab onto something new and look in a new direction with what we're doing. I always use the analogy of clay. You sort of slowly shape it and massage it into shape. You try and make an overall uh, rough shape and then you slowly add the detail here and there until you have something. And that's the way we're working now. Both in terms of what what's the kind of message we want to get across, what is the kind of gameplay we want to make, and what is actually fun. I mean, it, we also let the, the fun finding guide us. We also sort of, ooh, this felt good. Let's work some more with that. What if we expand on this? Ooh, it feels even better. Let's try and explore this some more. And I think we have right now we have a sense of uh, that everybody is playing the prototype at the moment is like having fun, just plain old having fun, which is sort of a good guidance.
0: Jonas Hagesson said that eventually, the team, working through the flow of new prototypes and iterating on them, settled on a single experience on which they decided to devote their time.
3: I mean, it was mostly uh, just a discussion of where do we feel the energy is going forward. And the other projects that we worked on aren't archived or anything. They're just where they have been left, and uh, they're still exciting, and there's still energy in some of it. But... Uh, We've decided to move on in a more sort of focused way uh, on one of the projects. The core basic idea was something that I developed back in April.
1: So even in the prototyping phase of the studio's next game, playtesting played an enormous role. In fact, if you visit the studio's website today, you'll see that there are just four options on the front page. There's games... There's Git support, there's apply for a job, and there's playtesting. So it's clear that playtesting is a core element of the studio's philosophy and approach to game design.
2: I mean, we test every week. This is Karsten Lund speaking. That's a lot. It also takes a lot of effort to make that happen. And it's something we, we insist on, that we sort of have the audience as a member of the group and see what they do with the game and try and understand what they think it is they're getting, what they would expect from a thing like this and how they interact with it in general is very valuable to us. We spend a lot less time discussing if things will work because we know we're only a week away from a test where we can actually see it, which means we spend more time discussing what it is we want and what we want the players to experience and what we want them to feel because we know we're going to have some sort of validation at the end of this cycle. And I think that's great and and very different from the studios I've worked with before where we spent a lot of time talking about will this work, will this not work, I don't think so, what if we did this, what if we did that. We don't. We, we spend more time building, testing, talking about what actually happened, what players actually did. And I think we're also guided by it. we were sort of very informed by they really responded well to this or they responded differently to this than we thought. Let's see if we can pursue that or follow that idea that something that we didn't see to begin with, but all of a sudden, this seems to be the gravitational field of interest. So let's try and work around this a little bit more. I think that helped us on Builder's journey, and it's definitely going to help us in the future as well.
0: This playtesting process is hard-coded into the studio's schedule, which is currently built around a playtest every Friday and run by Simone Ockholm, the studio's test manager. Karsten walked us through what a typical week is like at the studio.
2: Mondays, obviously, we meet. This is where we actually look at the Friday uh, test results. Simone is there to sort of brief us on what she experienced by, from talking to the, to the testers and from just watching them with her eyes uh, and, and her knowledge of what the game was supposed to do. And then we look at the videos. Uh, we meet for, for a morning debrief where we just, you know, sit in the same room and discuss what it is is we've been, we've been seeing and what the players have experienced. And then the the individual designers and team members can go and look at these recorded videos of the actual playthroughs. And there's a lot of information there. Sometimes a lot more than the actual briefing because you can see stuff in the behavior. You can see which bricks they choose first. And you can see... Generally, you can get a good understanding of what it is they understand of the levels. And then we, we just have a quick huddle in deciding what it is we want to do next. Uh, the, the Monday is definitely where we make the decision for what the week is going to do. And then we work throughout the week up until Thursday where we make a build. And we meet at the very last uh, you know, hour of Thursday and we all play together to test, obviously, if it works. So we're sure that the test is going to go well on Friday, but also to get the opinion of the people on the other teams and just to see how it plays, to get a feel for it. We catch some bugs there and we sometimes there's stuff we want to fix. And sometimes we will know, you know, where, what to focus on in the actual test. And then on Friday, Simone is welcoming the people coming in and they start playing the prototypes. We started working a little bit with sort of, a, a, can you say, a thesis for what it is we actually want to understand, so we can pursue that when we talk to the, to the players afterwards. But usually it's more non-verbal and open-ended. We just have them play around with what we've been
1: doing and then talk to them afterwards. And that's that's super valuable. Simona runs everything about testing at the studio. That means everything from recruiting the testers for each week's session to facilitating the test, to briefing the testers to, to, to come up with insights for each session, and then creating and presenting the findings of the test every single Monday. She also spends some time doing QA work. It's a lot, especially given the unusual frequency of the playtesting.
4: Yeah, so um, in the moment, we test every Friday. So we invite, like, between four to eight players into our studio. So they're actually here physically and meeting us face to face. We welcome them into the studio, and then they have to sign a non-disclosure agreement. Then we actually just get them started to play, and they play our game, or the latest prototype. And then I interview them afterwards. We record video of the game interaction. Then, like, I have until Monday to actually go to all the input we got on Friday. And then I present it to the rest of the team. And we all, like, discuss, like, what happened at this test. And the game designers also get a chance to see the videos from the test. And we can all discuss, like, what do we see at the test and how should we go on from here.
0: The current playtesting process was refined during the development of Builder's Journey, Simona said. Playtesting for that game was mostly about ensuring that the title was really smooth and felt like a full game experience. They also helped with the re-release of the game and playtesting was also deeply involved in the prototyping phase.
4: As soon as we went into the launching phase with Builders Journey, we we had like we split up the team, and some people would start like experimenting with new directions for new games. And then in the end, we also did a lot of um, longer tests where they actually have to play the game from the start to the end to see how it was when they got the full experience from the first time. Because we'd been facing this problem that uh, you know the game. It's getting longer and longer, <laughs> and uh, and we, we we usually only have like testers for one or one and a half hour. So it's like, how do you test a game when it's uh, when it's actually growing? And even though it's actually one of the things we've been criticized about in Builder's Journey, that it's uh, too short, <laughs> it's actually been um, a problem that we're facing. That it's. Um, it's hard to test a game when it's uh, when it's getting longer. And that's something we're going to face in the future as well, because hopefully we're going to make games, more games that is like even longer experiences. Um, so for the last few months, we've been um, kind of yeah in this experimental phase. And we actually had the testers, because we were like giving them four different prototypes sometimes. Like one tester would come in and we will give them uh, like 20 minutes on uh, each little prototype uh, and trying to evaluate all experiments in that way. I mean, we're we're hoping for the testers to surprise us actually, you know, to also make us see some stuff we didn't saw ourselves. Uh, Of course, we have like assumptions and ideas of what we think they will (laughs) say and what we think they will like, but, um, the best tests are usually when when they come up with something that we didn't see it in thought about. But I think in this experimental phase, it's also about like actually trying to see like the reactions of the players when they play the game. What is fun? <laughs> it's all about like finding the fun, right?
0: So, Brian, back before the pandemic, I was actually able to go to Lightbrick Studio. Now, this was in their old offices in uh, Copenhagen. And you came into the entrance, and then they basically had one kind of uh, larger room they shared. And Simona would perform the playtesting kind of out in the foyer, kind of the entrance area, which was isolated and worked very well. And the testers would come in, you know, she would greet them warmly, and she would do a brief introduction to the game you know, and some minor things, but then she would just kind of let them play. She would, you know, sit back quietly and watch them off in the corner. And you could just tell she's done it so many times. And when you and I both talked to her, she mentioned, you know, how this weekly experience always delivered interesting insights and breakthroughs. I
4: think one of my favorite was for this spring. We had like, we were testing the end of Builder's Journey. And it was one of our last tests before actually launching the new update to Builder's Journey, where this tester, uh, he was like starting to, like getting really emotional and he was like almost crying and he was like, he had to, he had to stop and tell me about uh, how uh, this just, it reminded him so much about himself as a little kid playing with his dad and how uh, he was, getting really emotional about it because his own dad died from cancer in a young age and so it was just so beautiful for him. So it was this really emotional moment <laughs> with a sister where it was like, okay, now we are getting there with this. now we are starting to see something with the story as well.
1: Among the challenges Simona faces when chatting with the playtesters after the experience is one that I think a lot of people would run into and that is this idea that perhaps these people who have come to, you know, to this event being put on by a studio working with a beloved toy company may just tell those people exactly what they think they want to hear. So I think it's up to her to sort of get through that and get a better sense of what they really feel. They also run into, I think, a a really famous problem that the studio refers to as the faster horses problem. And and that's referring to this great quote that is often uh, attributed, I, I think it's actually misattributed, to car manufacturer Henry Ford, who in theory would have gone out asking people, you know, if they wanted a car, like what kind of different type of transportation would they have wanted. And in, in, and what people say he said was, if I'd asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Now clearly, that conversation probably never happened. He <laughs> never went around yeah. asking people that. But yeah. uh, that's the faster horses problem that Jonas uh, refers to when he's talking about the issues they face when asking these playtesters what it is they want.
3: Try to not listen to them that much. I, I mean, we have the the famous uh, Ford example coming up in the studio every few uh, months, where if you ask the people what they want, they want a faster horse, but uh, of course Ford could see that they wanted a car. And uh, that's the same thing we're trying to do, where when we see someone being frustrated of a particular mechanic, we don't necessarily listen to their suggestions. We try to figure out why are they frustrated and what is the reason for the frustration, and how can we turn that into something that's uh, a bit more enjoyable, or get rid of it? So it's it's about really uh, finding out not what they're saying, but what they feel. I don't think we've ever followed them. This is Karsten
2: Lund speaking. I think what happens sometimes is that we realize that we can't get them uh, to a place where we want them to go, and we just say, okay, fair enough, we'll leave it at that, or we'll we'll try something else. Uh, this doesn't work. I don't think we listen to the audience in a way of, this is not the experience we want them to have. And sometimes they ask for something, but we know that they are not sure that they really want, right? I think we talk a lot about creativity and the blank page and a lot of people in general talk about freedom and completely open-endedness. And I think a lot of people are actually uncomfortable with total freedom and open-endedness in creativity, and they're actually more comfortable with a little bit of constraint, a little bit of guidance. Not help, but a little bit of, these are the tools you have to work with. They actually make you more creative than the, the notion of saying, you are totally free, you can do whatever you want. Uh, so a lot of people ask for freedom in creativity, but they, when they get it, they actually don't really know what to do with it. But once they get a little bit of a constraint, you're only allowed to use this kind of material in this kind of time frame or within this, these boundaries, the creativity is set free. So that sometimes the faster horse is asking for more freedom than, than you actually want, because once you get it, you're like, I don't know what to do with it. Uh, and I think that's a super interesting discussion in general about play and learning and stuff. There are constraints, and constraints are good. Constraints help me steer... In a direction and be creative, rather than freedom and openness actually confuse me more sometimes, make me in doubt of what to do. And, and it's hard to get started with a blank piece of paper, but it's easier to get started if there's like three lines there already. Fortunately,
0: Simona says that the setup they have prevents a lot of the issues one might run into with typical product testing.
4: I think it's not a problem we have in this setup. I think it's sometimes it's more the opposite sometimes because I guess it's that effect you can see because we test every week, so so sometimes we experience that you know one week, like on Monday it's like oh okay this test didn't work like like we have to um, do something else. We're gonna go in a new direction and this is what the tester said they wanted, and then we go in a new direction and then uh, the next week. It's like completely the opposite. It's like, oh no, now the test is like, they want something else and then we're going to go for that direction. So sometimes we have been like, had to like stop up and be like, okay, we have to remember, it's not like a quantified test we're doing. It's, it's really just a few people, right? It's, it's Sometimes it's just four people's opinions or feedback or their meeting with our game. So so it's it really comes down to in the end that it, it's not about us trying to please these testers or uh, creating the game that they say that that one. It's, it's actually more about seeing what's happening when our game prototypes meets the real world, when, when that magical moment, when the game meets the player, something happened and we get a lot of insights from that. But that insights, these insights, we, we also have to be critical towards what the testers are saying. And it's, it's always kind of like a, yeah, a discussion between um, our ideas and and uh, <laughs> the players' ideas. And and I think the right thing is probably, is, uh, uh, yeah, you find somewhere in between that. I also try to always, like, learn a little about uh, the testers what, where, that we have that sits in front of us. I try to see, like, okay, what experience do they have with LEGO breaks? What experience do they have with games in general? Like what are their motivations to be testers in here and how, how do they also understand the game? I always evaluate them on, based on the first 10 minutes when they play the tutorial. I go in and see, okay, is, do they have a hard time building or is it easy for them? Do they understand the general like language in the game? And based on that, it's easier sometimes to see what is um, how is this experience affected by the game and the player. It's shaped by both. It's shaped by how the the game is designed, but it's also shaped in in which person is going to approach the game.
0: Clearly, the process has worked for the studio with its work on Builder's Journey, but it seems just as instrumental in the prototyping
4: phase. This Monday, (laughs) we went into the test for this Friday, being a bit like, seeking a direction. We didn't really know like we had something which was really loose and we wanted to see like, where can we go with this? So we created some task and we asked them to do different things. And we end up seeing that one of these tasks was uh, really, really engaging and, and something magical happened. When they got this task, they had to like suddenly, uh, they had to start creating stuff to each other, they were like two testers, and something magical happened when they had to start creating stuff with Lego bricks with each other. So based on that, this Monday we decided to actually, for the next two weeks, trying to go and explore that direction and actually design a game around that. We learn a lot from them by observing them playing, and we also listen a lot to what they are saying, how they feel about the games that we give them. Yeah. So we listen and we observe and we learn a lot from that. And from there on, we kind of merge that with our own values and our own ideas. And that's what makes a game in the end.
0: While it's a core part of the studio and Simona's job, she actually said she is still surprised that Lightbrick remains committed to the frequent playtests.
4: Every, like, every week I'm, I'm a bit like, oh, it's the same. But then when I show up on Friday, it's always something new. Even though it's the same game that we've been tested for such a long time, I'm really, really surprised that it's always showing up new stuff in the test. And people are so different. (laughs) And they come in with such different mindsets and perspectives. And it's really interesting to see um, how they approach the game because it's always with a new mindset and they always have, like, new ideas about the game.
0: The designers are big fans of the testing, both because of the information they receive from the players, but also because of the motivation it provides. Jonas explains.
3: I mean, there were weeks where it was more just, uh, like, We do the test because we have to have the process and we have to have the thing uh, blowing down our our necks. And we still gained a lot from all those early tests. I mean, you can always extract something from someone not being able to do something. If it's a, a chaotic experimental mess, then you don't have a hard time figuring out why it's not working, but there's still like small little nuances that you will get from uh, even the early stages of everything. So, I mean, it's always beneficial to get someone to test your game, no matter what stage it's in. Perhaps the biggest challenge
1: the studio runs into with its weekly play tests is ensuring that play testers actually have something stable enough to test. Karsten thinks that because of that, the, the process is a healthy one for the studio to engage in. But he has been weighing the possibility of changing things up a bit. It sort of means that the games we make are pretty stable, actually. They
2: work often. Right? We can't wait for a very long time where they don't work. So I think uh, usually we go pretty cleanly through, you can say, submissions and delivering of code to to the platform holders because of our weekly tests. We have to fix a lot of things to make the games playable and stable and working for the tests. So, So in that sense, I think it's good for us. We are working with the new idea of, of running two projects at the same time, which means we need to stagger the tests, so we're giving ourselves two weeks, can you say, sprints rather than one-week sprints, which is going to help us a little bit to not have to race to the finish line as often. But, you know, you get two weeks to open up the whole game and then close it down again, and then you get to test it, right? That's obviously something that happens while we, when we scale, that we need to figure out a new, a new cadence. So we have weekly tests, but they're going to be with different projects.
0: While the first game for a new studio is incredibly important, the second can be, in many ways, more stressful for the team to lock in. Jonas says that's because each new game can be deeply impactful in identifying the studio's focus and approach to development.
3: The second game is uh, how you really uh, define yourself as a a studio. Of course, there's the original game that, if successful, is uh, coloring uh, your studio in a certain color, but if you don't want to be stuck in that kind of space, uh, then you have to kind of extrapolate from what uh, went before and say, we are we are actually also this thing. And being able to have these two points makes it easier in the future to say, yeah, we expanded in this space so we can actually also go this other place and just constantly be elastic about what what is it that... Uh, we as a studio find meaningful.
0: While the team settled on the core concept for their next game, Jonas said he still feels very much like they remain
3: in an experimental phase of the game's creation. Well, I mean, uh, if you uh, asked me uh, five months ago of where we were with Builder's Journey, I think I would have been able to say, yeah, we are kind of also still in a prototype phase. The phase we're at right now is uh, trying to not take decisions that will shape the future too much, try and still be uh, experimental and trying to figure out what what is the essence of this thing that we're trying to get on its legs and being as uh, agile as possible, like trying to not lock down on certain ways of uh, doing the workflow. Jonas said he can't really say much about the new game
1: because it's in such a state of flux that anything he tells us now is bound to change by the time it launches. He did tell us that the game is likely going to take longer than Builder's Journey did to develop. Karsten said that he can't even share the code name for the project because it would likely reveal too much about the game. I cannot say a lot, obviously. I think also
2: mostly due to the fact that we, we're so early and we're so much exploring that if I just say what it is right now, it's probably going to be something else. Uh, in, in in three months, but I think I can talk to what we're what we're trying to aim for. I think we we're still in pursuit of a portrayal of what we call the Lego idea, which means being creative, trying, experimenting, and and uh, seeing what happens and learning something during that process. That's going to be embedded into the game, definitely. And we, we want to pursue something new that we haven't done before. So that I think there's a little bit of social play in there. There's a little bit of more of, of, you can say, Lego model building in a new way. And interaction with the game and navigating in a game in a way we haven't done before and we haven't seen before in a Lego game. But still based on the bricks. So it's very, very exciting. And the people who see it, I, I think it's a lot of fun. So that's a good start. <laughs> so it's definitely going to be very different from builder's journey that's for sure we're not done with the lego brick that's for sure it's a huge inspiration to us um and and we believe it's it's a very very strong medium and a very beautiful design icon uh, that has stood the test of time there's a lot of embedded can you say affordance in a brick everybody knows where it is and where it goes what it looks like and what they want to do with it Uh, so in that sense we believe it's still a very strong language but we're going to use it in a very new way
0: As Jonas pointed out, some of the weight that comes with making this new game has to do with how it will help to define the identity of the studio. Karsten feels that weight acutely, not just in the new game's development, but also in how the physical studio expands with new employees and more space.
2: Culture does change over time in any company i would say and it's so it's not a static thing that you just you know decide and then that's what it is it depends on the projects you're working on and the people who are there and the f- stages they're in so it is something that change and should be allowed to change i think with with the the growth journey of each and every one of us but it's something that we need to be very mindful of uh, making sure that we at least don't get the feeling of of being separated while we're together And we're doing lots of things together, right? We have the, you know, we have a a morning meeting on Monday together, all of us with a breakfast. We, we play games together every week, new games from other companies just to see what's going on. We, we have uh, everybody can attend, uh, you know, the design meetings or the stand ups. So we try to be as inclusive as we humanly can across these work streams. But it's, it's a very good question. And I think it's a question that's on a lot of people's minds uh, with companies, big or small is what is our culture? How do we maintain it? Or how do we follow its change and not lose the essence of what it is we're trying to be or
1: trying to do? For Karsten, ultimately, that means staying true to the studio's formative vision, a vision that means learning how to deliver the Lego idea in new and interesting ways. I think a lot of
2: people connect with the core idea. And, and understand the, the sort of, uh, can you say, the message and, and feel that uh, nostalgia that, uh, you know, a lot of people feel when playing this game about, you know, um, are we playing enough with each other these days and remembering back to when we, we did play somehow. It's much more organic coming from the inside. I think we, we believe in this whole being a little bit more immediate in what we do, it, we, 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 we don't overthink it. We work more from our gut feel and try something and try new things. We know that we need to test it. We know we need to go through lots and lots of iterations. So we may as well just get it out there so we can talk about an actual concrete thing. And I think that's what happened uh, with this next uh, thing we're working on right now. It just came about slowly from within somehow.
0: And bricks is made possible by lego games your hosts are brian Crescente and ethan vincent producing by dave tack our executive producer is ronnie scherer creative direction and editing by ethan vincent research and writing by brian Crescente. art direction by nanan lee graphics and animations by manuel lindinger and andreas holzinger mixing and sound design by dan carlisle openings child voice is milo vincent music by peter primer founder of music.com and enric Lindström from the award-winning game LEGO Builder's Journey, which you can play on Apple Arcade, Windows PC, and Nintendo Switch. We'd like to thank our participants, Jonas Hagerson, Carson Lund, and Simono Ockhorn. We'd also like to thank the entire LEGO Games team. For questions and comments, write us at Lego.com. That's bits, the letter N, then bricks at lego.com. And as always, stay tuned for more episodes of Bits and Bricks.